Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Pasaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And this week we are joined by Amanda Moore, who went undercover in the MAGA movement for almost a year. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Thanks for having me. I guess just to begin with, uh, why did you go undercover in the MAGA movement for almost a year? <laughs> so I've I've always had an interest in the far right. You know, I've always kind of monitored it. And I was raised evangelical. And I come from a, a long line of Trump supporters. So it's not too far removed from the world that I already lived in. But my job was just completely unrelated. And then when COVID happened, my job was gone. My entire industry was gone and it still is. So I had a lot more downtime. (laughs) And I don't think I would have gone undercover the way I did if January 6th hadn't happened, but it did. So uh, it just kind of kept escalating every event I went to. Um, And then before I knew it, a year of of fun had just flew on by. So you were at January 6th. What did you see on the day? So I got there... Late enough that I couldn't get close enough to any of the speakers to hear Trump's speech. So I, I actually, I still to this day have no idea what he said. Don't care. Never want to know. But, you know, just the crowd, there were so many people, like the line for the bathroom. I like walked and recorded the line for the bathroom. And the video of that is like two and a half minutes long. Like it's, it's so crazy. There's just so many people. Nobody was prepared for anything. And, you know, there was, it was, one of the first times, I guess the night before, January 5th, was the really the first time I had noticed so many QAnon people interacting with and hanging out with people in, in three percenter gear or, you know, Proud Boy shirts, stuff like that. And so like a big, big mashup of all of the all of the different groups together. Just and this this energy. I mean, people were they were stoked to be there. They were so excited to to support Trump. It was it was a super weird day. What was your understanding of Trump and the MAGA movement prior to January the 6th, and I guess prior to your decision to infiltrate it? My, my family is like, Trump should still be president. The election was rigged. So my understanding was pretty comprehensive already. It was something that I was already surrounded by, even though I live in DC, where like eight people voted for Trump. It was always around. And, you know, I I always monitored it closely. Like when he had Twitter, I had notifications on for him the entire time he was president. So I was always getting my breaking news directly to my my phone from his his Twitter account. So you were familiar with groups like the Three Percenters and the Proud Boys and so on. I wonder, was this the first time you'd seen them all together cooperating and getting along so well? Oh, absolutely. Especially with QAnon people. Um, I remember there was a rally in, I want to say 2018. It was like the mother of all rallies in DC. And it was at the same time as this like juggalo march. It was super strange. And 
I remember seeing like different groups. I specifically, I have a bunch of pictures of three percenters all branded and they were like different groups were physically present, but I don't remember ever seeing people interact the way that I saw um, January 5th and then again on the 6th. So you made this decision to sort of throw yourself into infiltrating. What what was it that made you say, I want to go from just observing these things to really getting involved in them? I, I mean, I don't think I felt like I had a choice. So after January 6th, I was like, well, I'm willing to spend like some money, I guess, to do this. So I had already had COVID and then I was vaccinated in February of 20. I was vaccinated in February of 2021. So I, I wasn't very worried about COVID. So I bought a, t- a student ticket to uh, CPAC and I used a bunch of Hilton points and like, you know, airline miles. And I flew down to Florida for that. And I planned to just go and I knew a lot of media couldn't go. And even if, you know, media could go, there were like mass policies at most outlets that I didn't have to abide by. So I figured I would be able to, you know, record some stuff, sell it to like a podcast, you know, and like make some money and like whatever. But while I was there, this guy uh, talked to me about his organization that he had, his grassroots organization. And we exchanged contact information. And once I learned a little bit more about him and how he's a, uh, a Nazi, I decided to uh, kind of commit to the bit a little bit more because I felt like it was important. This guy who was running uh, this organization, what what was he doing with the Republican Party? Yeah, so his name is uh, Shane Shriho, and he is involved with a group called Republicans for National Renewal. Now, Shane Shriho is a, a precinct chair where he lives in Michigan, and Republicans for National Renewal has connections. Like I met him at a, one of their events, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, and Laura Loomer were all speakers at this event. So they've got, you know, their hand in with the city politicians. And he's an elected official himself. He's also a former co-host of a, a podcast called uh, Flood Slide of Liberty that his other co-host was a member of Identity Europa, <laughs> so, which is, you know, a hate group. So it's, it's not great that he is uh, disconnected. And they've recently made news here. Back in December at Turning Point USA, um, they had a, a Christmas event and they had a whole rack of, of connected people speaking, including Paul Gosar was there again, um, and Anthony Sabatini, who they have a relationship with, who's a, a Florida state representative. And, you know, just too many, too many people are okay affiliating with, uh, you know, uh, people who are down with Nazi ideology. Amanda, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the Republicans being a mainstream party, yet attracting what would otherwise be considered to be some fringe elements to its gatherings. Could you talk about the relationship between the Republican Party and these fringe actors? And secondly, Amanda, can you talk about how often, in the case of these mainstream or more mainstream events like CPAC, there will often be satellite events organised around them, and these satellite events will, which will attract some of these fringe elements? Okay, um, so I will say, like CPAC, all that stuff... I, I I would go and I would never see a single speaker. I would never watch a single speech because I wasn't going for the speeches, right? Because, you know, like Dave Weigel or like someone from the New York Times, whatever, like real journalists are there to cover that. So who cares? I was exclusively really going for the satellite events, which all of these things have. I mean, that Republicans for National Renewal event was a satellite event to CPAC. And then they had another one that was a satellite event to Turning Point USA. I went to something called the American Populist Union, their inaugural summit, which was also a satellite event to a different Turning Point USA event in July in Tampa, Florida. And that's, I mean, that's what they do. They, they the the CPACs and the TPOSAs, like they'll, they'll do like a half-hearted attempt to, to ban a couple of the worst offenders or the most, you know, notorious ones, most recognizable ones. 
But people still get in. They're still able to kind of like recruit and feel people out and be like, hey, you should come to this thing that we're having across the street later. You know, I had that happen to me. I got invited to something that way. And so that is just rampant. I think the relationship between the the mainstream people, you know, it's it's hard to say because it, it changes daily. I, I feel like, you know, if there's a lot of outside pressure, then the organizers of, of the bigger events or, you know, whoever they'll, they'll say, Oh, we're sorry. You know, uh, you'll might have, you know, somebody, I, I don't, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen somebody disavow an affiliation before, you know, I've never like, obviously Paul Gosar has never come out and been like Nick Fuentes is a bad guy. So I, I don't, you know, nobody's like really condemning this stuff. Um, and a lot of it is like the media itself. If, if you look at Tucker Carlson, everybody watches Tucker Carlson. It doesn't really matter who you are. You know, you could be like the conspiracy theory obsessed grandma who thinks that JFK Jr. is still alive. And you could be, you know, the the 19 year old uh, white nationalist fascist who is at Turning Point USA just so you can go to the cooler fashion event across the street. Or, I mean, you could be like a, a normal uh, GOP like elected official and you're all going to watch Tucker and his his rhetoric is very extreme. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he says all of the white nationalist talking points without ever bringing up the Jews or without ever, you know, bringing up uh, like specifically like race science or something. But everybody's kind of consuming all that stuff. So I think I think there's a lot of connections there. And, you know, you obviously some of these some of these people will I mean, basically anybody who's OK with the January 6th committee existing is OK with kind of being like, oh, I don't know about white nationalism, it's not so good. But by and large, like even when people are disavowing specific actors or whatever, they're still consuming the the rhetoric and they're still repeating it. And so, you know, I might have more of a cynical view <laughs> uh, than you're looking for on that. We'll just come back to this in a second, but yeah, you, you mentioned JFK Jr. You, did you meet JFK Jr.? I got his phone number. <laughs> how, was, how was that? And maybe oh, you have so- to explain uh, who you met as well to our listeners who might think that JFK Jr. is dead because they're fools. <laughs> yeah, they just don't know. There's there well, there's multiple uh, JFK Jr. candidates, so it's it's also like I got to clarify which one I met. I met uh, Vincent Fusca, Fusca. I actually don't even know how to say his real last name. Who people? Uh, some some. QAnon believers, but not all, believe could be JFK Jr. And he won't confirm it or deny it, but he does drive around in this like little van that he's got Trump painted all over. And it was the Justice for J6 rally in September here in DC. And I was hanging out with an organizer and I was like waiting to get a picture with JFK Jr. because obviously that's hilarious. And he just started talking to us. And then we all went to the Trump Hotel bar together. And then it was, it was, it was him and his friend and then a bunch of women. And this guy walked out on his tab and the, the women who were with me had to pay it because, and they were, they were happy to pay it because they were happy to help JFK Jr. <laughs> but he's a weird guy. He's a really weird guy. So I don't, I'm not fully convinced he's JFK. That's a real Kennedy move. Yeah. <laughs> so just to go, go back to the, uh, sorry, I got, I got distracted by JFK Jr.'s uh, allure. Uh, just to go back to these satellite events. So what sort of um, rhetoric are you talking about that you're seeing at these events? I mean, I think like most notably what I am, what's fresh on my mind, because I've been writing about it today, uh, was in June, you know, it was initially this like extremist view that the FBI did January 6th. And then all of a sudden it was a mainstream view because Tucker Carlson put it on a show. I mean, he's he's like this 
pipeline between, you know, we might see something fringe on, you know, Alex Jones or like whatever one day. And then it could be a week later. It could be a month later. It could be a year later. And all of a sudden Tucker has got like the exact same talking points. And it's, it's very alarming all of the time. And now he's pushing um, Seth Rich again, the, the conspiracy, you know, that Seth Rich was uh, <laughs> murdered as a DNC cover-up. It's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous that he's allowed to, to be on television as somebody who's giving factual news. <laughs> That's so bizarre that they'd pick that up again in 2022. I th- thought that that would have been sort of dealt with. It was literally dealt with in court. <laughs> I don't understand why it's back. Were discussions about Seth Rich and various other conspiracy theories about different personalities, were these the sorts of things you were talking to people about? When you met people at these events and talked to them, was it all about politics or what was really concerning people? So I never heard anybody mention Seth Rich (laughs) in the year 2021. So I I was doing two different things. I was going to a bunch of QAnon events. And so that is a completely different world than like the fascist stuff that I was going to and doing. A lot of the QAnon people were significantly older than I am. I'm 33. And so they're people who could be my parents or grandparents. So I wasn't really like maintaining relationships with those people. And then obviously the fascists were closer to my age. And so, you know, we would text and like whatever. I, uh, with, with the QAnon people, it is an exhausting amount of nonstop conspiracy theories. But something that I noticed across the board with conspiracy people is that, you know, I would get a lot of like, you know, my son is a doctor and he says, I'm killing people and he won't talk to me anymore. Or, you know, I'm getting a divorce from my husband or I haven't talked to my friends. You know, they, they won't pick up my phone calls anymore and it's fine. I don't care. You know, I, I come to stuff like this now. And because obviously we would be at, you know, QAnon events. So, yeah, it seems like conspiracy people really can't turn off. Some people would, you know, talk about personal stuff for them, like problems they were having at home or whatever that weren't really relevant to anything in line with what I was doing. Um, and then with fascists, it would be like a lot of a lot of politics and a lot of like the same like kind of like rhetoric that, you know, like if you're talking to somebody, you know, in real life who is also on Twitter, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like, oh, did you see this thing today? So, yeah, it, it pretty much dominated with fascists. The thing is, people don't want to talk about themselves too much because they don't really want to give away who they are. They don't want to get blackmailed. You know, they're saying horrible, hateful shit and they don't want to get doxxed. And so it would take a lot of time with some of those people to get them to trust me enough to like say, you know, anything personal at all, but nobody ever talked about their families or anything like that or, or their friends outside of, of this world to me. And I never did either. It was very, very normal. Uh, QAnon people were more trusting. They have a lot less to lose. They're also not generally politically minded because, you know, you know, at 50 or 55, you're probably not like thinking about getting into politics for the first time in your life. So that was, you know, that was a little different. But yeah, most of my conversations would be centered around conspiracies and politics. You are listening to Yena Passaran on 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We're currently talking to Amanda Moore about her experience infiltrating QAnon and the MAGA movement. And if you appreciate what you're hearing, Perhaps consider subscribing to the station. You can go to 3cr.org.au slash subscribe or give us a ring on 94198377 during business hours and subscribe over the phone. In terms of your own safety, you've noted that those you met in fascist circles were reluctant to reveal too much about themselves for fear of the consequences. How did you manage your own presence and try to ensure you didn't disclose anything you didn't want others to hear? So I think it was it was actually fairly easy because I made everything as close to myself as possible without 
like giving it away. So like, obviously my name is Amanda Moore. It's a very common name, but I didn't use my real last name. I used a fake last name. And I, you know, I'm from DC, but I said I was from Annapolis, Maryland, you know, just which is 25, 30 minutes down the road in the middle of the night. And it's also a place I used to live. <laughs> so I was familiar with it enough that like I could, I could run that. I briefly attended college at University of Maryland. And I'm pretty sure I just told people I went to Maryland because there's like 25,000 people that go there. So good luck. <laughs> And I said I owned a business, but I never really clarified what kind of business. And I gave the impression it was still functioning. So people didn't really suspect or ask anything. I was kind of shocked at how little people looked into me or cared. I did make a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all with my fake name on it. And if, you know, within those circles, everybody's accounts got nuked. So it wasn't even suspicious when it was like Amanda joined, you know, January 2021, because everybody had to rejoin in January or February 2021. But yeah, very little like background into who I was. I think I would I lie sometimes and say I was flying out of Baltimore instead of instead of the DC airport, which is, you know, just meant that like I had to make sure I always like took my luggage tags off at the airport and threw them away. But yeah, no, nobody ever questioned anything I said. Very strange to me. When you were looking at these, you were attending these QAnon events, you were attending these sort of far-right Republican events, was there much crossover between the two? No. The fascists uh, that I was hanging out with think that the QAnon people are weird freaks, <laughs> but they do think that they're great uh, for potential recruitment to, to be, basically be bodies. You know, they're useful idiots is how it would be described. So, But there's no like fascist like paying $500 to go to a QAnon John event. <laughs> But there was this sort of QAnon two fascist pipeline that they oh, yeah. at least discussed. Did, did you observe that in, in practice as well? Yeah. I mean, I think where that would have been most observable would have been January 6th to see it actually happening in practice. But it was like definitely something that was talked about and is like being being done. You know, you just have to have like more conspiracies and you have to have, you know, more stuff. And then people people will kind of gravitate towards it. Because if you're already believing that like Donald Trump is a time traveler and JFK Jr. is still alive and like all of this stuff, you're probably fairly susceptible to believing whatever, as long as like it can be pitched to you in the right way, because, you know, it's going to kind of align with your overall opinion that Trump is great. And so, yeah, so it's definitely viewed as like, these are people who are useful and like, we'll like put up with them. And especially it would be like, there would be times. So so there was one event, sorry, I'm trying to think. It was a Clay Clark event and it was in Tampa in June. And there were three percent, it was like a very heavy QAnon, like extreme QAnon event, right? But they had three percenters there handing us all water bottles and like making sure we were all well hydrated because it was an outside event, you know, for like three days. Um, so even seeing like stuff like that, where I wasn't privy to the conversation that went on behind closed doors about, you know, how they organized that event. I mean, I can still see it though, right? Like it's pretty bizarre that you have a militia group handing out water bottles to people at the QAnon event. Wonder why you're doing that, you know? And I think it's just to to kind of foster connections between people. And I would also see that too with the militia groups. A lot of these QAnon events would have the militia groups like contracted to be there to, to protect us from, you know, the Antifa helicopters people were always like concerned about. And uh, those people at the end of the night at the bar, you know, would mingle with like the the QAnon people who were probably less less aware of like the going ons of like the various militia groups and, you know, like foster all of these connections. But I can definitely say that, you know, when it comes to like 
actual fascists who are like working to to, to change laws, they definitely literally call the cue on people useful idiots. Speaking of anti-fascists, that subject would presumably have occupied a number of people's minds at the events you attended. Were anti-fascists ever a real presence? So for January 6th, my mayor told everybody to stay home. She said, don't, don't even get off your couch, like all this stuff. The two prior rallies in D.C. had very small counter-protest groups, and then there were some on this, the maybe some somewhere on the 6th. If they were, I didn't see them. But there, I didn't see any at CPAC in Orlando. There were so few counter-protesters that I outed myself to all of them, and we're all mutuals on Twitter now. The other events I went to, um, I mean, one of the QAnon John events got ran out of its original venue, but that was like three or four weeks before the event happened. I never saw a counter protester on site. I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure CPAC is like the only place I ever really saw counter protesters. And then I did fly out to Portland to go to a Proud Boys rally, and they they ended up. It was supposed to be downtown, and there were a bunch of of counter protesters there, but they moved into an abandoned Kmart's parking lot and then tear gassed themselves in the parking lot. So <laughs> as you do. Just just a normal Sunday. <laughs> Another question, Amanda, is to do with the ethics of this type of investigative reporting. When you went public, there was a range of observations made about whether you'd behaved ethically. Some months later, have you had time to reflect on that and What's your opinion on how you went about this and what are the main ethical observations someone should have if they're considering doing something like this? I have never considered whether, I mean, like, I I mean, it was who who gives a shit, right? Like, (laughs) I I, I couldn't care less. Like, these people are uh, monsters, right? Like, they are literally talking about, like, how they wish we could gas people again. You know, I I don't care. And they're helping write legislation. Who cares? You know, I don't work for an outlet. I'm not a journalist. I want a modeling agency. Like, I mean, I guess, I guess I do this now, but at the time, you know, um, and it's, 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 it's like, whatever I, I've been very careful, you know, I'm not going to like name the name of like some grandma who's crying to me because she can't see her grandchildren anymore. You know, that's, I'm not an asshole, but like when it comes to people like Shane, I don't care at all. <laughs> and, and why should I? Because they, they will do whatever it takes and and nobody who's actually in power in this country on the left seems to be willing to to do anything but just roll over and be surprised every time people on the far right lie about being far right extremists i would say i just would simply recommend people don't do what i did in terms of ethics <laughs> my my blanket response is just don't do it i don't think it's a good idea for people to do and if you need the advice of some disembodied voice on on your headphones to tell you to do it you shouldn't be doing it so was it all worthwhile um i mean i i know i hope it was worthwhile um i i it was certainly certainly better you know my my life is certainly better and i think i've made a difference in a small scale right so it's like i think i've helped different researchers um kind of like come to different conclusions or see different things, you know, um, that it's a little harder to see online sometimes or to know what you're seeing online, like tracks uh, back and forth. But I mean, to be like super frank, I was suicidal. My, on a personal end, like, you know, my job was gone. I was given about 7% of my income on unemployment. <laughs> uh, you know, I lost my home, like it was terrible. And 
uh, being dedicated to something and, and chasing after this goal once I really had it and and trying to get in closer with these people and to see who they were working with and, and what they were what they were trying to accomplish gave me a sense of purpose. And so, you know, maybe like I'm looking at this like, you know, obviously I can only like see it from my own perspective, but like, yeah, I think that like probably grabbing some of these names <laughs> that I got and getting direct verbal confirmation that they were former members of various hate groups. I think I mean, I, I mean, I've gotten the information. I hope that something will be, uh, I hope they will suffer consequences, <laughs> but I guess I won't ever hold my breath about that because who really knows? And just finally, what was the most shocking thing you witnessed? I think one of the most shocking things, like for me, <laughs> I was at, was at the Clay Clark event in Tampa, Florida, and I was hanging out in the hotel lobby and my arm was broken. So, and I had delayed surgery to go to this event, much to my <laughs> surgeon's dismay. And these random people were talking about my arm and they like everybody like wanted to pray in tongues on my arm because then they were like, you won't need surgery if you just let us pray in tongues on you, which I ended up actually needing surgery. So if you thought that might work, it, it did not. Um, <laughs> and they were like, do you know this guy? We're going to go to this like beach baptism. Do you want to come? And I like got in the car with him. We drove half an hour away <laughs> and Pastor Greg Locke, if you're familiar with him, I guess he was like doing some sermon. And But when we showed up, everybody was getting kicked out. So they took us, we had to leave the beach and they put us in a motel parking lot next to this dumpster. And it was, it was like a parody. Everything I went to was just like a parody of like what you think these events are. And, you know, they're like doing all this preaching and they're FaceTiming Lynn Wood with us. And like people are asking Lynn Wood questions like, is Trump a time traveler? Is Hillary Clinton? She's dead, right? Like that's a clone, right? Like all of this stuff. It's <laughs> just like I'm like, am I am I the only person here not on drugs? Like what is going on? And we're just all this is like next to a dumpster. Like the dumpster smell is occasionally like you know like blowing <laughs> over at us. And a cop came up and was like, "We're doing a prayer circle. We're holding hands, but I don't have to hold hands because my arm is broken." Like thank God. And uh, this cop is like what do you guys join? And somebody's like, this is a prayer circle. We are praying for Donald Trump. And the cop was like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry to interrupt your prayers. I, I would never, I am so sorry. Enjoy your night and walked away. And as soon as he left, everybody was like, I can't believe the police are so against us here. Just like, it just hit like every check mark of like crazy shit that <laughs> could possibly happen all, all at one uh, dumpster side sermon. So that was my strangest experience. Good times. Well, yeah. Amanda, thank, thanks so much for joining us. If people want to find you on Twitter, you are at NoTurtleSoup17. That is me. Excellent. Well, folks, that is all we've got time for. Global Intifada is up next. If you go to 3cr.org.au slash subscribe, you can subscribe to the station, and uh, we would really recommend that you do so. We'll see you next week. See you then. Smile.
As a reminder of Steve Smith Watched every ball, every stroke of bat KFC, did someone say that? Ball leg spin cause I'm hot and fat This is summer in Australia Now how's that? How's that? You messed about, I caught you out How's that? Now that I found where you're at you hear from Music Sans Frontières. Subscribe to 3CR for music programs dominated by Australian artists, supporting Australian music making and lifting your day with glorious sound. 3CR is a membership-based organisation. We depend on our members' support. That's why we make it so easy to subscribe. Call 9419 8377 or go online to 3cr.org.au. Thank you. 